Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I am your host, Phil Llewellyn. Thank you for joining us for Season 5, where we discuss all things sports coaching. My guests are going to present their key learnings from a piece of content of their choosing, and we then discuss its application. Two guests join me this week, so please, if you could introduce yourselves. Uh, my name's Nick Evans. Um, I'm a rugby coach, just in the final processes of finishing off my level four. It's been a long journey. Um, and I'm also course lead on an undergraduate program in physical education, sport and youth development. And I also teach on the MSc in professional development on rugby performance. Hi, yeah, my name's Joe Harwood. Um, I've just started a new role as community rugby coach at the Bristol Bears Foundation. Um, got a background in, in community sport, community coaching, um, but also in women's coaching. I've coached at Richmond Women's, uh, Henley Women and Newbie, Newbie Women. Um, yeah, that's me. Fantastic. Absolute pleasure to have you both on. Uh, yeah, really, really excited for this. So uh, just a quick reminder to anyone listening to check out the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly for links to the resources that we discuss and uh, others as well. So Nick, we are coming to you first. Uh, what is it you're going to talk to us about? Well, I guess uh, it is based on this idea of um, being an authentic coach, I suppose, and and finding your own path. And I suppose for me, that has led me to, to right now feeling confident in myself as a coach when I think of myself in terms of relational pedagogies and how important for me um, the interpersonal skills, the relationships that I build, um, the valuing of the human. Um, and so I guess that's what I'm going to ramble on about. Awesome. I love that. Just before you jump into it, um, relational pedagogies for anyone that doesn't doesn't know the terminology. Can you can you kind of describe that? Yeah, um, it, it, it is what it, it does what it says on the tin, really. So it's all about building good relationships um, and it's all about how do we build good relationships, really? And um, what we've learned as teachers and when we when we look at expert teachers, for example, so a lot of what informs how I coach is that I used to be a director of sport I used to be a PE teacher and when I got the best out of my students it was because I truly knew them and a lot of the research that, that I read is based in education so I guess it's taking that teaching um, background and now the reading that I've done around that and actually applying it in my coaching and going yeah it's, it's okay to be this kind of coach because actually this is, this is good stuff. So, you know, I'm happy to put my hat on relational pedagogies as being a really important factor in my coaching. Love it. How, how important is that to actually understand yourself? So I think this is always that kind of underlying question. And I guess it's maybe it's part of the journey as a coach, you, you discover who you are as a person in life in the same way you kind of do in coaching. So is there a shortcut in your experience to to that process or is it something that we just need to be really comfortable around as coaches going this could take me 5 10 15 20 years my whole career to ever be to feel like I'm actually settled in what I am as a coach if that makes sense 
I think it's really difficult because we have a culture, you know, we, we're in a rugby culture. And I think it, is, it stems from that historical thing. Rugby was there to train army men, so it had to be tough, you know, and we've used army language a lot in rugby. And, and you know, we've had a lot of this tough love, suck it up, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And, and so actually, when you feel that you don't fit in that mold, sometimes if you don't, you're not confident enough, you, you try to fit in it. And I've definitely did that early doors because I was so desperate to do well, you know, and actually now I'm just uh, at the point where I'm just like, this is who I am and just be happy with it, I guess. How, how difficult is it to fight the system in that sense? Like, is, is that just about finding your niche and finding somewhere that you feel comfortable? And Joe, I'll open this up to you as well in your experience around, you know, coaching, coaching any team. Like, is that just where you land and you go, oh, this is me, like, this is awesome? Or do you think there's always going to be a sense of we are fighting certain ingrained processes and systems, like you say? I, I think that, that we are fighting systemic and institutional stuff. Um, uh, and I think that that takes time. Um, I also think that, um, I, you know, I've been really unsuccessful in applying for coaching jobs this year, so I'm not starting a coaching role this season. I, I've had a million setbacks, um, but I've got to be happy in who I am, because if, if, I, if I don't have that authenticity um, in who I am, then my, my philosophy is going to go out of the window. And actually, um, I think it's just as much about me being a good fit for a club as the club being a good fit for me. And I think, yeah, of course you can go in and change things and that takes time, you know, success takes time. Um, but also you have to be in a club that's receptive to the way that you are too. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And that last point you made, Nick, kind of really resonates in terms of, I'm with you, I've, I've had some unsuccessful job applications, um, not bad experiences at clubs, but they haven't necessarily worked out the way I wanted them to go. Um, and actually you kind of reflect and you look at yourself in the heat in the moment. It's like, wow, I did this wrong. I did that wrong. But it's, there's, there's always two sides to the story, isn't there? And actually you've got to have that self-belief. You've got to have that resilience, right? We coach players and athletes to have resilience, but you have to have resilience as a coach. Otherwise you're not going to last very long at all. I think that's a great point just around those setbacks. I, yeah, I guess we're all probably in the same boat. You know, every, every coach goes for roles thinking, you know, you imagine, oh, this would be class. Like, I'd love to work with these players or this group or whatever it might be. And whether that's a progression or, or a sideways move or whatever it might be. But I, in my head now, if I don't get a job, I tend to just go, well, that doesn't reflect on me as a human being. Like, I'm my value as a, or my identity is not damaged because somebody said they'd prefer somebody else. And I think it probably took me quite a long time to get to that place where I'm just going, Maybe that wasn't the right job for me. If the, if they feel there's someone better, fair enough, absolutely. But it doesn't mean I couldn't have done a really good job there had somebody said, we'll give you that opportunity. So I, I wonder how much of a slippery slope that is to kind of question your value or your worth as a coach if if you take that personally almost rather than in just a professional sense that they've gone with someone else. It is what it is. Yeah, and I think I think that's tough in rugby because that's another culture for you in that um, I haven't even got to the stage where I've been interviewed coaching, so they've never seen me in action, you know? And so I, I think that 
um, we have a culture of a network. I trust this person. I've seen this person. I want to work with this person. Um, so actually getting your foot in the door for some people, uh, for lots of people, is really tough. And so building your network and, and building trust in you as a person, as a, as a coach, um, that takes time, doesn't it? And I think some sometimes we, we get frustrated when we, we see um, ex-players with less experience and, and you know elite players just just walk straight into that and, and that becomes a frustration so I, I think it's difficult when you don't see it as a meritocracy you know and 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 so but you've got to rise above that and you've got to be positive and you just got to keep on plowing on through it really yeah I mean Phil that's a really fine line right because you've got to You'd hope, right, as coaches, we're reflective. We're reflecting on how our session goes, how our meeting goes. Have we reached outcomes? Could we have delivered something differently? So you're always going to, there's always going to be an extent of you taking things personally, I guess. But at the same time, as Nick said, you've got that philosophy and that your beliefs. You've got to have an element of belief in those and in you as a person that you can do a good job as well. Um, and Nick, on your point as well, I just started in in this job 10 days in but one of the biggest kind of plus points for it was I actually had to do a guest uh, a trial session I've gone for so many coaching jobs and they literally just want to look at a CV and it's like well how are you going to get an idea of who I am as a person who I am as a coach if I'm any good at coaching it's it kind of baffles me to be honest that you don't want to see the practical delivery as well as as well as just the theory side of it I think that's a great point. I, I chat to a few people about this. Just interview as a process is archaic, isn't it? Like you, you get to sit for an hour and a half, like max, maybe an hour with some people. They ask you all the questions. You're about to invest probably 80% of your you know, waking hours in working for them. And you have an opportunity to maybe ask like three questions at the end and then make a choice of whether you want to work for them or whether they want to hire you. And I just kind of go, this is insane. Like I've heard some really good ones. They're kind of four or five part processes. And you go that, yes, there's a big commitment for time, but actually should that not be the way that everyone's doing it? So you can really get stuck into the detail around, do I want to work for you? Like, am I the right fit rather than just hoping and I guess lots of people, you know, you do some good research, you speak to people you know, et cetera, et cetera, but it's still not quite the same as, as actually immersing yourself in that place to begin with, I guess. So, yeah, it's a very strange system, isn't it? I read a, a really interesting paper the other day about te expert teachers, and they seem to be, you know, the best best in the business. And they um, got asked to, 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 to teach a group of strange strangers uh, for 20 minutes and one teacher walked out another teacher um, did terribly and what they realized was even though this teacher's expert and has all these skills the relationship is what makes them an expert is actually knowing their students really well so maybe part of an interview process is that you send a video in uh, of you coaching with a group that you really know you know, so they can actually see what are the dynamics, how positive are you, you know, what are your kind of interactions um, with, with, with people. I think I've taken us off on a bit of a tangent, so I apologise about that. No, no, I think it's a great discussion because it's, it is actually, I'm, I think it's probably something we all talk about as coaches quite often around the, just the ups and downs of, of kind of professional, semi-professional coaching. Everyone kind of goes through this, but I, I don't hear many people kind of discuss it in, in this way on a podcast. And I think just actually 
for coaches understanding everyone goes through the same the same experience i guess like i think that's a real real positive in terms of the conversation so yeah um go on joe uh, i was just going to say I've, I've done some interviews or, or had some talks where analogies or um some problem solving tasks have been set which i quite like so we haven't necessarily done the practical delivery of coaching but there's been a problem solving task to see how obviously cope under pressure how you how you solve problems your kind of growth mindset which i quite liked um but Nick, you're right. That's a really cool idea. Like, yeah, I mean, you can be as you can be as good as you like, but if you don't get on with the, the athletes or the people you're coaching, if it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit, right? It's you're not going to fit with everyone. It's different personalities. Um, so actually, getting an idea of what you look like in, in an environment where you've where you've really got on well with people is a great idea. Do you think that comes down to? Like your relationship with co-coaches as well Nick I'm just wondering about the kind of the reading and the literature I appreciate teachers will tend to operate just themselves but actually how important that relationship you build with your co-coaches is going to be to how effective you are as a almost a team within a team in terms of I might can you hear me yeah 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 we can now yeah okay so yeah, I think it's really important. Um, when we think about, um, we want to get to a state of what I'd call oneness, where we're all different, but actually we've got different ways of, you know, different ways of doing it. But actually we know we're going towards the same shared mental model. We're, we're working towards the same thing. And um, I've been really lucky that I've worked with coaches that do things very differently, but actually I, co-coaching gives you that opportunity to learn from them. That's maybe not the way I would do it, but actually I've really learned from the way that they're doing that. So I think I really enjoy that about co-coaching because I think as a teacher, you're a bit of a control freak. You've got 30 people, you go off, you do what you want to do with them and then you plan what you're going to do next for them. Um, and Twitter has opened that up a lot for, for PE teachers. So there's PE chat where teachers can now share ideas with each other. And I think we're starting to be collaborative in a different way, if that makes sense. Um, so personally, I really love co-coaching because we will always miss those moments, coachable moments, because we're so busy on bigger picture. So when we get a really good co-coaching relationship, we can bounce off each other. How important do you think defining roles within the session is there? And again, question to both of you, kind of, is it, are you often going to specifying okay i'm on you know big picture you're on details so someone's having lots of little conversations or would would you just kind of let that evolve is is it quite a planned process for when you're with the team like what, what's your experiences of that i'm a teacher i'm a control freak so it's always like i'm doing this you're doing this and so joe you might want um better approach. no i think i don't think that's necessarily control freak i just think it's clarity isn't it if we coach an athlete, they want clarity and equally as coaches and as a coaching group, we want clarity on, on what your role is. Um, I've done it. I've, I've tried it both ways. So co-coach where we've obviously had the session plan, um, but haven't necessarily detailed specific roles for co-coaches if I was leading a game. And equally, I've done it the opposite way where if I was uh, refereeing or, or coaching a game, then um, Johnny is looking at defence Craig is looking at attack, etc., or attack off nine. Um, I think it just depends on the group, to be honest. I think there's there's value and merit in both both approaches. Um, and one of the things that I personally love is 
Um, I worked with a guy called Alex at Steelers and he was my assistant coach and he used to run the games for me so I could just step back and observe and just that opportunity to step back and observe gives you real value in terms of being able to pull a player out and say you know you did this what what were you thinking about when you were doing that and then dropping them back in the game or seeing which part of the game that they didn't get and that, that you needed to kind of tweak the rules whereas when you're coaching and you're in the game you're enjoying it so much <laughs> that you don't actually see which parts they're struggling with. I often find the mechanics of depend on how many you know coaches you've got someone's always got a referee haven't you so actually your perspective is very often from the middle and it's that kind of balance of I, I do just want to stand and watch some of this but I also don't want to be that bad a referee that it starts affecting the quality of what we're trying to do so actually just as you say having someone else that's that's comfortable doing that I often find is is a real positive because just just stepping you know end of the pitch side of the pitch wherever you want to go that change of perception I think is or perspective is is absolutely crucial but I do I do often reflect and look back and go mm, yeah maybe I spend too much time doing doing one or the other because that's where I'm comfortable rather than actually just maybe flipping that because I, I do think it, you probably just end up with that hierarchy don't you so whoever's going to lead inverted commas or maybe talk the most or or drive the process probably ends up being in the middle potentially and then you can have those little extra chats as well and that's yeah I think it's it, you just slip into bad habits I wonder I'm also really poor at refereeing I get too into the game <laughs> so I'm in that wreck I'm practically in there so you know um that's another reason why maybe um I was just gonna say I've one of the best experiences I've ever had in coaching where we got to a stage where almost all kind of non-contact games were refereed by the players um, and actually it allowed the coaches to, whether it was one-to-one -one chats with players or to step back, uh, like you say, um, but to quote cards and to quote Rusty, other, other podcasts and other companies are available just for advertising purposes. Um, but yeah, it just, it really does work on, work on the person and the athlete. Um, but also, yeah, I, I can, the co-coaching side of it's brilliant as well because and if you don't if you don't label or um put wording around what they want to deliver or look at it's great because you're obviously going to have your biases that you're looking for within that game and that drill another coach won't so actually that's a really powerful thing to see different things and to allow different coaches okay you're refereeing this week next week you're going to step back and have a look um i think it's just a kind of variety isn't it best of both worlds 100%. I'm keen to just shift a kind of a lateral move, I guess. So jumping back to kind of relational pedagogy, I'm wondering how you to experience or go about managing players that let's say are opposite end of the spectrum to you. Because I, I don't ever think there's a, there's a right way to do this necessarily, but I'm, you know, you hear the term meet people where they are a lot. And that I think puts a huge onus on us as coaches having to have a huge diverse range of where we can operate and how comfortable we are in, in operating to meet players where they are with their attitude or their ability or whatever it might be. And I, I guess attitude and perspective is probably the, the main one I've come up against. They see things very differently to how I do. And that then creates friction or you butt heads or call it whatever you want. But I'm, I'm really interested in how that would maybe start to shape 
approaches to managing those types of players? Um, I thought this might go towards those challenging players. And so just a few things that I really thought about in that I've had a real change in my mindset. I've read a lot of trauma-informed pedagogy, so I'm really kind of getting stuck into neuroscience when I don't get it, but I'm, I'm getting stuck into it, you know. Um, and so um, there's this feminist called Bell Hooks, and she talks about in education, we need to love. You know, and that's transformative to love someone. And when I say love, I, I, I'm talking about unconditional positive regard for somebody. And what we need to just think about is that we can really value that human being no matter what. You know, we can value that human being, but we can still call out that behavior. We can still have those difficult conversations and say, you know, um, we, we, you know, we're going to give them a sense of belonging. We're going to care for them. You know, um, we're going to give them equal opportunity to learn, to succeed, all of those things. We're going to build good relationships, but we're also going to be able to say, I really like you. You're a great human being, but actually that behavior doesn't cut it in this, in this session. And it's about, and I haven't always done that. I haven't always been able to, to feel confident enough to, to be kind of, what, what's the word I'm thinking about? You know, um, confrontational. Sometimes I, uh, I'll avoid the confrontation sometimes when actually I should just face it up front. Uh, and it's about really kind of getting yourself down to the point in your coaching where you value the human, but you, but you have boundaries on the, on the, you have really strict boundaries on, on the behaviours and expectations. And you clarify that at the beginning of the season, you clarify that when, you, when you're saying, so you, you know, you, you, you want to say things like, I don't want you to be more late for the warm up. That's not acceptable, you, you know. That you're, you're sending a message that the warm-up is unimportant. You're sending messages that turning up for training is not important because you want to go off and mess about kicking. It's not acceptable. Um, so, so that's the kind of place where I'm at, I suppose, is that, um, and what you're talking about is that, first of all, we've got to find some kind of relatedness. So we've got to find an affiliation between those players. And, and that affiliation is that, for, for me is that willingness to succeed. You know, we both want, want to win in the leagues. We both want the same things. We want our team to do well. So I need you here on board with me on this and getting that relatedness, you know. What's the things that you want most for this team? Well, actually I want exactly the same. So this is a difficult decision I'm making on this selection. It's not a reflection on you as a person, but actually it's a reflection on, how, on, on what we want to achieve as a team. So it's those kind of things around relatedness. Um, and then it's about responsiveness. And so it's just having that empathy with players and realizing, you know, that they are human, that they might have had a difficult time and said, you know, you're really argumentative and you were just smashing people today. And what's the point in you smashing people? Has work been difficult? You know, have you had a tough day? Is anything going on that you want to have a little chat about? You know, you're not a counselor, absolutely not a counselor, but actually, you're saying to them, you know, I can see that, you know, you wanted to go and smack seven bells out of someone. Is, is there something going on you want to have a chat about? And then um, I guess the last thing is that receptiveness. So, so that receptiveness has got to go both ways, really. And so, and that comes from having, being brave enough to have difficult conversations about your boundaries, because I think boundaries are really healthy. Um, and, and, and giving people boundaries is love. You know, you, you don't let, you know, you don't let a, a kid have all the sweets. You love them, but you, you don't let them have all the sweets. And, and I think that's the same in coaching, you know, 
And, and when I think about it, is it, you know, my son went to Marks and Spencer's to pick shoes, horrendous, eh? you know, school shoes all over the place. He starts kicking knickers off the thing and, and I'm like, oh my God, I, I can't accept the behavior, but I still love him, dr drumming. Um, and I think that's where we've got to be with our players. That's a very long answer, is that okay? It's a brilliant answer though, don't, don't apologize yeah. for a brilliant answer. Go on, Joe, jump in. No, I, was, I, I totally agree with you. So much of that resonates uh, and kind of so much would make sense. I was just going to say we were we were lucky enough to actually um, Pat Lamb came and delivered a, a PowerPoint to us on my second day last week and all the staff behind the scenes. And one of his big things was was love and the importance of love um, and basically sacrificing sacrificing things, I guess, for, for the good of others. Um, and a practical example in terms of challenging athletes or people who have bad days. Um, I think it's more about suggestions. So some of the best athletes I've coached have been, for example, they've been, I've probably reached a ceiling in terms of my knowledge. Uh, and actually what's worked really well on the pitch uh, has been kind of, you show me your way and I'll show you mine and we'll work that kind of uh, co-opted team approach to actually get into the outcome that we want. That's worked really well. That's had some buy-in. Um, but like Nick said, I think, just making sure someone knows that you care, like regardless of if I'm a very question-orientated coach and they want to be told, just if, if she or he knows that I care about you, we'll kind of, that buy-in's already there and we'll get to where we want to, how we, get, how we do it, changes based on, on that approach, if that makes any sense. <laughs> and also I would say that for my own authenticity and for my own philosophy and when I've questioned myself, most of my coaching is when I've not done that, when I've not lived up to it and I've let a behaviour go because my head coach has said, you know, we're still going to select that player. Or, or when I've been the head coach and I've selected somebody when I didn't feel like it was the right thing to do. And so it's when, that's when I'm talking about authenticity in who you are and that relational pedagogy is about you know being really comfortable and I don't think I'm there yet I, I think it's a process isn't it yeah. um and we're, we're always evolving we're always learning so I, I think you know but also I've got to be kind to myself and be like yeah you're also human you know you're, you're, you're not a superwoman you're not going to make the right decision all the time I'm, I'm saying to a player yeah I got it wrong you know I, I should have put you on at that time and I didn't and I, I wish I'd been strong enough to do that etc was it, uh, is it Ben Ryan? The standards you walk past, the standards you become. And his, um, uh, his book about uh, when Fiji won the sevens gold. And it is, like you say, it's tough to have those confrontational conversations sometimes. And I found it, especially when, when I was 21, close to my first session with uh, females, some of them 18, some of them 45, have way more life experience, playing experience than I have. To say I don't like something is, is, is pretty tough. And I totally agree. It's a learning, it's a learning process and kind of get better with it every day. Um, but we go back to that clarity. If we know what we want, if the players know what, what we want from them and what they want, et cetera, we are going to get to that outcome and to, to where we want to be a lot, a lot faster and a lot more productively. Yeah, 100%. I think the habits you build around that is quite interesting. Just as you both were talking, I was thinking about the session last night and just 
I caught myself. So the, the rule was just right shoulders on two in the breakdown on your chest. So not, not full kind of full whack. And for three tackles in a row, the, the guy that made the tackle just ran off and got back in the line. And I stopped it. And I, I was about I genuinely halfway through like what the effing hell was going on. And was just like, no, right. And I genuinely said to the boys, I'm like, right, I'm trying really hard not to lose my patience here. So, and just that catch, I was like, I don't know, 12 months ago, two years ago, five years ago, like I'm definitely just ranting there. I'm going off on it. Like, this isn't good enough. We have this rule every bloody week. Like, why can't we get it right? And I'm just like, fellas, are we aware of the rules? Great. So can we make sure we abide by them? Simple, get it done, move on. And I, I was just actually really pleased that I didn't erupt in the middle of this session and go like, what the fuck are we doing? So yeah, little, little things like that. And I often find just, sorry, we're just with a late, late conversation. I'd now just check in. I'm just like, is everything okay? Because I think that rather than me going, why are you late? Like straight up confrontation, it just gives them the opportunity to go, oh, my dog just got run over or I'm not very well or something. And then I can go, right, now I need to pitch where I'm at. If they just go, yeah, I'm fine. Okay, well, can you tell me why you're late? great I think that just reshapes the conversation and that's a really hard habit because I'm like there's five of them they're all late I'm getting angry like just not again not to just fire into them and just understand again meet them I guess where they are so yeah interesting and and that's a bit about regulation isn't it and actually we you know we're humans and we 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 thrive on social connection so actually we're co-regulating all the time so if I lose my rag you're going to lose your rag and so um, there's this point um, where we either react or we respond and we're conscious in that decision to respond. And I think as coaches, you know, we've always got to take that breath. We've always got to take three seconds and regulate ourselves down. Uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm guilty of it. I've done it. You know, I've dropped the F-bomb in a training session because I'm really angry. And it didn't help anybody, you know. And I, yeah, I'm human. I need to forgive myself for that. But, but actually, yeah, that that ability to regulate ourselves so that we regulate our players um, is really important. That ability to respond, um, not react, so challenging. I love that. I'm I'm definitely writing that down. That's that's one of my big notes. I just start, react or respond. I really like that. That's great. Um, I was just going to add, Phil. It's it's terminology, isn't it? Like you gave the example of the question and you reshaped it. And it was really really simple thing to do. But by doing that, you're not, it's not an aggressive question. It's not confrontational. It's, is everything okay? You're showing you care and actually you can then get to the outcome that you want. Um, and actually terminology and the language we use is huge. It's absolutely massive. And the, the example I'd use is obviously community coaching. I'm always, I was always brought up don't swear, don't use swear words, as, as a lot of kids swear, I'm sure. And I try and, in community sessions, I try and live live by that as well. And you've got, what, 13, 14, 15-year-olds giving me lots of lots of colourful words because I've made the wrong references. And actually, it's a really good example to use. When you do get older, use of how you shape a question or how you shape something you're, you're going to say impacts a conversation and relationship you, with you. Uh, that you have massively um it's something i'm really interested in to be fair and something i'm trying to to get better at definitely yeah and as as you say it's just 
I guess we're always going to be faced with lots of opportunities to do it, but it's actually what what mechanism are we employing to, uh, you know, just kind of stop, as you say, check, react or respond, and, and actually maybe just making that a conscious uh, deliberate process to ensure that we are we are catching ourselves before it goes goes wrong I guess so I was just going to mention body language as well it's something that I'm I'm not an inherently I don't smile all the time <laughs> uh, I have a if, if you don't know me I have a pretty grumpy face uh, and actually it's caused it's not caused issues but it's caused friction in the past and actually kind of being self-aware and reflecting on your body language in that conversation is huge as well not just obviously verbal kind of communication and terminal that's a big one isn't it I, I've actually I've had that midway through a conversation I'm, I'm you're kind of doing a bit of a, a development chat almost and it's okay well you know do you think you could start doing this and suddenly the arms get folded and everything gets defensive and they're like yeah 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 I'll do that and I'm like okay you're saying that I'm not seeing that with your body language. And suddenly there's just this like, oh my God, like this self-consciousness about the person because then they're now aware of it, as you say. So yeah, definitely. Which is, I'm, I don't know, that I think there's always that ongoing argument about how much you can control your body language. Like it's, it's very, it's an inherent thing, isn't it? If you were aware of it, you wouldn't do it. I think once you become aware of it or someone says it, but it, it comes, it crops up on that list of like 10 things that people can control. And it's just like, well, I'd probably argue we can't control it. We can change it once we know, but actually it, it's, it's our emotions coming out in another way, isn't it? So yeah, I do wonder how many people trip up on that by thinking we, we should or shouldn't be managing managing something that is is maybe not manageable i don't know it goes back to kind of what nick said about authenticity doesn't it it's a word that kind of is a buzzword at the moment but i so when i first started coaching when i was 21 as i mentioned with newbie women's uh, i did my first season as head coach and basically at the end of it, I've, i'd been so kind of i wanted to be professional didn't want to show any emotion didn't want to show how i felt really i just wanted to do not what I've been told, but what I've, what I've learned and what I've discovered. Got to the end of the season and then final whistle went, team talk, and I basically just, I didn't burst into tears, but I welled up a bit. The emotion got let out. And actually after that, because I showed some vulnerability, I got buying from the players more. And by the end of that five-year five year journey with them, that's some of my best coaching experiences because I knew those athletes better and they knew that, one, I cared, but two, I was open enough to show that vulnerability in those emotions so it's yeah yes you got to regulate yourself but yes at the same time you've got to be natural to yourself um, and what you said phil about is it subconscious it's not so there's this really amazing psychologist called amy cuddy and she talks about faking it till you make it so women are often not confident enough to go for jobs till lot later and so what she tells us to do is go into the toilet to put your hands on your hips or do a superman pose and then really, you know, and your body then feels confident because you've, you've, you've faked your body into believing it is confident. And I think sometimes we have to do that because um, we're the coach. And um, I worked um, for a se season until lockdown um, with Richmond uh, ladies. And I, I'll be genuinely honest, um, I was right in the depths of parenting um, and I had three young children and I was genuinely exhausted and I think I rocked up quite often <laughs> just kind of like 
uh, you know, and actually I probably needed to have gone into the toilets for 90 seconds and did a Superman pose and then gone out there because I, I imagine I probably turned up to quite a few sessions, looking, feeling, sounding exhausted. Um, and actually our energy conveys what we want from the session. So um, it was a big learning thing for me in that I've, I've got to, you know, I, you are the captain of the ship that they are looking to you they want that kind of leadership from you and part of that leadership is your body language is that you really want to be there that you really want to coach that you really want to um when probably i was so sleep deprived that um i i probably wasn't conveying any of those messages so yeah so there you go N not suggesting everybody goes out and does superman poses on the middle of a pitch but you know it's a, it's a great point. I think I've spoken about it on here before, but one of the best bits of feedback I ever got as coaching at Nuneaton, and the, it was a quite a long walk to the training pitch. And the guys would say, you know, when you come out after us, because they're, they're doing the warm up, the other coaches or whatever, we can tell what kind of mood you're in just by how you walk. And I was genuinely like, we, we know if you're going to be like fun and engaging and laughing and joking or whether you've had a crap day and you're probably going to be a little bit more angsty. And I was just like, wow like had genuinely hadn't clocked at any stage that that's the type of stuff they were looking at in me. Um, so as you say, yeah, the, those little things can actually become really, really important because just their mindset suddenly goes, oh, it's going to be a crap session now because Phil's in a bad mood. Well, just on that, I was to the risk of going off on another tangent. I feel like we've done that quite a lot. Uh, um, on the energy part, I'm in two minds about this because so Prior to doing my level three in a game, for example, or in a session, I would talk. It would be commentary, basically. I'd be bringing energy and I'd be commentating effectively on the game. And then go on to my level three, mentor says, why are you talking? How useful is this? Are we getting anything from this? So I almost went the opposite extreme. And in a game, if I wasn't refereeing, I'd almost stand there and just observe and be, say a few words, that's it. Um, and obviously there are going to be times where you have to bring more energy, energy to a session because people, it's a slog that part of the season, right? But there are also going to be times when the intensity and the energy is there. So where do you guys stand on that? I'm kind of, it depends on the group, I think. And I, I think it's a middle ground. Sometimes you will really have to put on that energy and bring that energy. Other times it's kind of provided for you by the players and the athletes. I think that comes back to that, uh, you know, the relational pedagogy. It comes back to, Good relationships you're building good relationships they know that you're a human um but I, I i think we've got to be looking like we love being there this this is you know this is what we're born for you know we, we want to be there they're the most important people on earth and um yeah talking and not talking can you can still convey that that real passion and i think you've got to convey that 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 passion whichever way um, that looks for you. I, I don't think we should all, you know, tick box coach. I think we should all do it our way, but yeah. Um, even passion looks very serious for you maybe, um, yeah. I, I think it's also just checking in with people. I, there's been loads of times this happened. I'll be stood, you know, with another coach in the warm up, and you go, oh, this, this warm up's great. And then the kit man walks past and he's like, oh, crap, it's warm up of the year, that. And you're just like, how can we be seeing the same? And it makes complete sense that everyone will see things completely differently. But you just go, 
hmm, so actually may, maybe I need to check my perspective and just ask a few players in the warm-up, how are we feeling? Is there a good buzz? Before we just go, my opinion and my perspective is the the right one, again, inverted commas, like, because I'm, I'm always conscious, I guess, about projecting, just because I've seen something, oh, we don't need to be nervous today. And all the players are looking at you going, well, who the hell said we were nervous? Like, well, that just means that you're nervous. And now what? what is it bad I'm not nervous? Like, I, I, I just think we can get that so inherently wrong. Whereas actually, if we're just, again, having all those lots of little conversations, just checking in with people, we can we can make that reference point and go, a few people have said they're feeling a bit nervous today. What can we do about it? And I think it just gives it that that perspective of it's it's the group's reality then rather than just mine um and and that's i think yeah that that's kind of the end of a journey of moving away from doing the big the big changing room speech and the big shouty thing in the warm-up and actually just kind of trying to be around everyone do you know what i mean just buzz around big some people up if they need it calm some people down if they need it just just operate on a far more individual level i think rather than trying to be be all things to all people and actually not be overly useful um I'm I'm really conscious of both your time, so um, I, we've done loads there. But I think we'll kind of park that one for for now. And Joe will will jump. Oh, go on, Nick, go on. Just saying that if, if you want to read it, there's a paper I'm teaching is by Moen Gurdon and Wesley, um, and it was out in 2019. It's about caring teachers and social justice in in HPE. So if anybody does want to read that paper, it's pretty interesting. So that was one of the things that I've learned thinking about it. Brilliant. I'll um I'll uh, link that into the blurb so people can can get access to that. That's fantastic. Great. Uh, Joe, over to you. Yeah. So we've kind of already discussed one of the themes oh. I've got on the WhatsApp group, which is good, which is useful. Um, the other theme, I watched uh, I watched a program called Big Shot, and it's a Disney program about this uh, NCAA basketball coach who's had success in the men's basketball game. Um, gets sacked, throws a chair at a referee, just obviously not, not advisable. Uh, but it then pictures, it kind of uh, shows his journey. His next job is high school girls coach and actually the way he has to change his coach, uh, his coaching to, to kind of uh, get the best out of those girls and the different athletes. Um, but the theme, I guess, was kind of adversity. So losing a job or getting sacked or facing adversity as a coach, which we've kind of touched on briefly. Um, and building resilience, I guess, because we always talk about building resilience in players and athletes, but not necessarily always in coaching. Um, and it's arguably a job that you, resilience is something you need more than anything, to be honest. Um, so yeah, it was around, it, it was around facing adversity I guess, like we said, trusting in yourself and your beliefs and your coaching philosophy um, and just being honest, honest with yourself about those things and how you deal with it. Um, but yeah, I'm open to, to hear what you guys say and questions on that. Um, I've had some experiences, but yeah. Um, yes, so I'll be really honest with you. Um, I've applied for eight roles. Um, I'm really keen, I, I've done my community rugby for a, for a long time, I've coached for a long time, and I really want to get involved in the elite pathway. Um, and so I, I applied for over, for eight jobs in in various different roles, and I got knocked back from from each of them. And I think it really knocked my self confidence that that I'm okay as a coach. I don't think I'm wonder coach, but 
you know, that I, I'm good enough as a coach. And I think um, I, I did a bit of coaching with Wooden Spoon Marauders, Sevens, the men's and women's. And I've done, gone back and done a few guest coaching sessions with Staines at community level. And it took me going, getting back into coaching to actually realize, yeah, you're okay. You know, you are okay as a human being and you are okay as a coach. Um, to realize that those failures aren't a reflection of me as a human being. But I think that's really tough. Uh, um, and I, I won't lie in saying that it's really hard. And we throw resilience and grit around all the time, but actually, you know, it's not about having, wallowing and having a pity party, but it's okay to say, this is difficult. Uh, and and this, this affects your self-confidence and, you know, you're not superhuman. You, you, you know, the knockbacks do impact you. So, um, it, you know, if there's coaches who listen to this and, and haven't been successful, I, I would just say, you know, just be kind to yourself and just go, you know, you're okay as a human being and, and actually you, you will get the right fit and, and something will come right for you if you just keep on working at it. Anything that you really want um, it is difficult. It's, it's never an easy pathway, really. And I just want to say that that pathway isn't easy for everybody. It is for some, and it, and it's not for everybody. And that's you know, and that's okay. I, I think my first question, Joe, would be when you say build resilience, kind of how how do you view that? Is is that you've just got to experience setbacks and then find your way through it? Is that about going out and and kind of I guess reading literature or or speaking to people and actually building a model for yourself? Because again, I think it's it's a very generic term that lots of people would use, but I'm always interested in the actual detail of what is building resilience. That's a, that's a good question. <laughs> so I I started coaching at 21 because of injuries. Um, so I ruptured my cruciate ligament when I was 14. And then between the ages of 14 and 21, I've gone on to have eight knee operations uh, and still had dreams of playing rugby. So actually... I guess resilience, I guess setbacks, I was pretty used to pretty early on. Um, but like I say, it, it is really hard and I struggle with it massively. Um, I kind of think I fall on the side of yes, read about it, but I think you have to experience it, experience it and then see how you react to it. Um, what's helped me massively is having a mentor, having people I can lean on and talk to, having people there like Nick, like say, who will kind of, They'll big you up a bit. They'll be like, actually, like you guys have said, it's not a reflection of you. You can, you are good at this. Look at what you've done before. One failure, one problem, one, one setback doesn't, it doesn't define you as a person or as a coach. Um, so yeah, I think I fall under the experience side of things. Go experience it, go experience the setback. And then well, obviously you don't want to experience setback, but it's going to happen. And then see how you react to that and learn from that, I guess. Um, I'm a big believer in writing writing down just a few notes. It can be longer than that. What I've learned from that experience, whether it's positive or whether it's uh, a setback, and that's something that really helps me. I, I'm really interested in, in just, I guess, exploring a little bit around, you both kind of mentioned maybe not getting a job as a failure. Uh, what, what, would a, what approach do you take to deem that as a failure? So I'm really interested in as much as applying for a job is not actually in your control. So are, are you giving control and are you giving 
away, I guess, maybe your confidence or your identity or your self-esteem and putting that in someone else's hands, that if they then say they do a paper sift and, okay, I don't get an interview, if I see that as a failure, well, what else could I have done? Actually, if you, you, okay, you might reflect and go, I could have written my CV up a little bit better or a better a better letter or something like that. But I'm, I'm wondering if you're almost setting yourself up to, and I don't want to belittle that experience, but to almost make it a worse experience by kind of, do you see what I mean? Overestimating or, or something along those lines. If, if you view it maybe as an exploration, it's not in my control, but somebody will then make a decision. Do, would that reframe the experience to be less of a failure, maybe less damaging? I'm not sure if I've tripped over myself there, but if you kind of get the angle I'm coming at. No, I do. And I take that point, like, because you are, you're right. You're not in control. You're in control of as much as you can control, which is what probably writing a CV or editing a CV, cover letter, practical delivery, if you're lucky enough to do that, and how you come across within that interview. Um, yeah, I guess you're selling yourself, right? That's a job interview. You're selling yourself to, to people. I don't know. I've, it's a really interesting way of looking at it. I've always seen it as I'd quite like this job or this role. I've gone for it. If I don't get it, it is failure. But actually, yeah, I'm, I'm not in control of a huge amount of that. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting viewpoint. It's an interesting way to look at it. I, I think... Because I've come from a teaching background, this really meritocratic. You, you you do your qualification, you have your teaching experience, then you go for the role, and then they interview you, and then they you know. Um, I, I find I find that it's really difficult to to not be angry with the system. You, you know when you just um, you, you just feel that you want it to be meritocratic. You want it to be fair. I like everything to be fair. I'm very much in favour of social justice. I, I talk about equity and coaching, etc. And I think, yeah, there's. I really want to drive positive change so that when we come into rugby, that we 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 become far more meritocratic in the way that we um, select coaches, so that actually, that we have a far more diverse coaching group that we do have um people of color and black people coaching that we do have lgbt coaching that we do have female coaches you know we 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 just don't have it you know where's where's the where's the females in the elite men's game there isn't any but there are definitely coaches out there that are brilliant you know so so make it happen somebody make make it happen really um and it doesn't have to be me, but uh, it, it needs to happen. I think we need to to move on in, in in rugby because lots of other things are moving on, um, and we need to do the same. Really, oh, absolutely agree. Yeah, and I and I think that I can I can fully understand the disappointment of then you don't get a role because you want to be able to affect change and and if that yeah I, that, that makes complete sense I mean I think the last two well two of the jobs I got interviewed for um both abroad actually I, I wasn't disappointed necessarily because I didn't get them I was disappointed because one didn't actually provide feedback even having done a face-to-face -face interview over zoom when I asked for feedback they just ignored the request and the other one the feedback was actually almost completely irrelevant because they basically just said you're not what we're looking for because you're from abroad 
And I'm kind of like, well, you knew that before you interviewed me. So again, there was there was nothing tangible that came back from either of those that I could then go away and work on or try and adapt and change and improve. And I, that, I think for me, that's where the disappointment comes in. But I, I tend to try and not preempt and, and then class it as a failure. As I said, I think I look at it as it's an opportunity, but it's it's never within my control. So actually, if I manage what I can manage, I'll just experience it and then come out the other side. So whether that's my my resilience mechanism, I'm not sure in kind of reframing that, but it's one of those, it is it is a real challenging environment, I guess, when you're, when you're it, it happens pretty much every year, doesn't it? We're always looking at, at different roles and different opportunities. So, yeah. And yeah, I think, seat. oh, sorry, sorry, Joe, that's my, go on, Nick, go on. Say was, what Joe was saying about mentoring is really important. Um, you, you need to have the right people around you. You need to have that support network of people to listen to you, to, to look at your stuff objectively and say, no, you need to put more of this in, or you need to do a bit more of this. You did really well in this. Why haven't you sold yourself on this? Um, and so actually, I, I think resilience comes from connections, from social connections. Resilience comes from knowing that um, you, you're not alone. Or the other thing I think resilience comes from is having an actual champion who's like, Joe is brilliant. You need to, you need to kind of get, get involved here. This person's fantastic. And I think that, that supports your resilience, I, I think. I was just going to add, Phil, I agree with you on the disappointment of not getting feedback i think it's i don't know whether it's other industries i think it probably is when they give you the whole there's a large number of applicants so we're not going to give feedback um but i've had experiences where i've gone for a coaching role the website their website their coaching company has said on their values that it's person-centered and we believe in not only having the athletes improving but also coaches as well and then you don't offer feedback for someone who's gone for that job and it's like well you're not exactly living your values or your beliefs at all in that regard um but yeah i guess it is nick's point is really powerful in terms of having people around you having that support network and it's the same for everyone i guess um yeah phil i like your i might i like your way of looking at that to be fair in terms of the emotional point of me is is thinking it's failure but actually i can't control a huge amount of that um, it's quite a cool way to look at it. Um, yeah, I guess for me, it's just with my knee injuries, it was, I always had a goal. So kind of my own persistence and, and determination would would get me back up and do that rehab. So I guess that's something that I brought into my coaching. Um, but it's tough. So, yeah. I think it's interesting, isn't it? It's a company like that, maybe that's the telltale sign that it wasn't the right company for you anyway. And I, and I do think there are lots of little things you can pick up within those processes, but just Nick, just jump back to your point. I, I just wonder what the role of being our own champion is. So have it still having that little voice on, you know, on your shoulder saying, this doesn't mean you're any less of a person. This doesn't mean you're any less of a coach. You're still, you're still fantastic. You're still as good as you are. You still have all the belief and the ability to go and do the jobs you're applying for. And, and just not letting the other one, the nagging doubt, go. Hmm, maybe you're not good enough because actually, it's it's a subjective judgment of of somebody you maybe don't know in the first place, isn't it? So how much how much are we going to let other people dictate our self worth? I guess. Um, and I think also, 
that as teachers, we learn reflective practice. We always reflect on ourselves a lot. Um, and I think there's a real fine line, and I do it as coach. So as a coach, I journal as soon as I finish coaching session on the train on the way home. When I get home, I journal, I draw pictures, etc. Anything to get it out of my head so I can go to sleep. Any of you stay awake all night thinking about something you should have done? Yeah. Um, so, so I journal a lot and I think there's a real fine line between reflexivity and practicing being reflective and, and criticality. And it's that real fine line between those two where sometimes we can be the harshest person on ourselves. So our players can send us texts, great session tonight, blah, blah, blah. But, but when you've set your sights on something and you don't get that, you have to, sometimes that reflection criticality, it, it, the balance changes and all of a sudden you're into, what could I have done? What in my CV could I have done? What part? And so, yeah, it's really, it's, it's really difficult to practice self-acceptance. Um, and and I, I think as coaches, we're encouraged to be reflective, um, but we've, got to actually accept who we are and accept our own value. And I think that can be tough for us when we, when we tip the balance because we get our confidence knocked and then all of a sudden we start to go into criticality. What could I have done? What could I have changed? How could I have worded that differently, et cetera? A guy that is, has had a profound impact on my life, actually, and that's, that's not to overstate his impact, but um, I don't know if either of you come across him, but Sam Jarman, um, golf pro, um, really big on non-duality and, and just has an approach that, that I, I guess I was just ready for when I found it. I think that's what the, the way I'd look at it. And it just, it really was. Johnny Wilkinson talks a lot about this in the interview with Jake Humphrey and around things being an exploration and, and everything is an opportunity and I, I definitely think that mindset, um, I don't even like the term mindset, but I definitely think that approach has just enabled me to be a little bit more um, regulated with it. I think I, I think there's the highs are probably higher, but the lows are nowhere near as low because I, I, I try and avoid that that negative self-talk or that that kind of actually, well, what is confidence? Like it's not tangible. I can't measure it. So do, why would I let something affect it when I'm not in control of it necessarily? So yeah i definitely think that approach and a big shout out to sam um anyone i'd suggest anyone get in touch with him because it's it's a brilliant conversation i am um, I, when i finished playing i got really down but i didn't realize that was a thing you know it was a long time ago it's 2012 like we don't talk about emotions in 2012 um we've moved on since then uh, and i actually found mindfulness and some of the best things that i found out in mindfulness i practice mindfulness a lot um it is the so stop putting a value on things um it's not good it's not bad it just is um and actually i listened to johnny wilkinson because he's actually found buddhism and uh, you know I, I find mindfulness from a non-religious perspective but so many of the things that he said really resonated with me and when we can get to that point where we just recognize him um this is it and this is emotion and then an emotion that will pass. It's not good emotion or a bad emotion, et cetera. It's just um, what it is. I, I think that's, that's the ideal place for us to be as humans, but actually where we are 
is is different. So it's that battle with ourselves to being non-judgmental, to being kind of just accepting this is the reality of this moment, not the reality forever. I, I also think a lot of that comes down to maybe where we believe happiness will come from. Um, uh, you know, a lot of the non-dualistic thinking would be around the, the damaging thinking we potentially have is I will be happy when so I'll be happy when I have um, a new car or when I get a job or when I'm married or when I'm whatever and actually uh, because there's always an arrival point and I the, the big thing for me was probably just recognizing and I don't want to sound like I'm some sort of zen master here but I've, I've just worked it out for myself like Every, it's a cliche but everything is a journey like that death is the arrival point that that's the only time we actually stop being something and and everything else in in part of that i'm always going to be multiple things like my identity is always changing personality will always be be in a state of flux so there's never a point where i go well i'm happy now like i've just got to enjoy the exploration the opportunity to experience all of that type of stuff and as you say and learn as best i can from it and do the best I can with what I've got. And that doesn't mean I, I don't have ambitions, but I think my self-worth doesn't hang on the fact if I don't achieve them, I won't be happy or unhappy. As you say, I'll, I'll just be. It's just, that's just the nature of existence almost, which is, that's pretty deep for a one o'clock on a Friday afternoon. But I mean, these are the chats genuinely I love, I love to have. So yeah, it's, it is fascinating. It really is. I was just going to, give an example of something that i use but i don't know if we have time do we have time oh, um go for it so actually it's i can't remember the, the name of the guy i wasn't it was with with Newbury again but this coach who'd coached um gb wheelchair rugby uh, and came in and gave this task he basically put on on a board three uh four sums one times one is one two times two is four three times three is nine four times four is 15 and asked people what they saw um, and obviously everyone went to the, to the error first rather than actually three or four sums were correct um, it's something I've used with teams and it's something I've used myself like it can be it's really simplistic and it's really it can be the smallest thing you've done well in, in a day but actually sometimes some of the tough times I've had in coaching it, it's helped quite a lot especially when I'm uber critical of a session or staying up at night thinking about something I could have done differently I might have done I might have had a really powerful conversation with someone or I might have used a really good prompt and actually hanging on to those things that you know you've done quite well it, it's it's quite a good tool to to help people out it's worked with me anyway um I've done a, a bit of research it's not been published yet but I've done a bit of research on gratitude and um I, I want to start introducing it into um team game environments um but that's i guess another day <laughs> uh that that would be a great conversation i i remember it blew my mind we did a little bit of that with a team i worked with in canada um just around sharing i think i asked them you know who do you respect the most in the room who makes the environment enjoyable for you and there was another question and right great think about that get up go and tell them and like the smiles and high fives and hugs in the room were like unbelievable. And then talking to the volleyball coaches at the uni at the time, they were saying they do a gratitude circle before every session. And I was like, that's, that's boss level. That is like just, just having players as so aware 
to be able to share that comfortably and connect that much, I just thought was was incredible. So um, yeah, and if you, you want to look at work around that, Gabana, I think G A B A N A. I think it's Nicole, but it might not be. Um, but um, Gabana's done a lot of work around gratitude. Fantastic. We'll definitely check that out. Um, I am conscious of both both your time, so I guess we'll we'll probably kind of just knock that one on the head. Although I could have chatted all afternoon to both of you about this. This has been yeah, just just really really insightful, and I think just some talking about some challenges that everybody faces. So hopefully this has been a, a great discussion for for other people. Um, is there any other content that you want to just recommend to people while while we're all kind of on the subject? Anything you've read or listened to? Um, yeah, read Bell Hooks. She'll blow your mind. Um, and Nell Nodin's uh, work on care is fantastic and it's been developed a lot by Colin Cronin um, and Colin Cronin's done some work on care. So they're the two people that I would um, thoroughly recommend really. All good. No, happy days. Um, no, just just to say a massive, massive thank you for this. I, as I said, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think people just take loads from this. So uh, I'll round up the roundup uh, to everybody listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again to my guests for coming on and contributing to a brilliant discussion. Links to all the content that we talked about are available in the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly. Thank you for listening. Wish you all the best and go well. Thank you.